Good morning. We know it feels like Monday, but it's actually Tuesday. This is Start Your Week from the Bunker, and I'm Andrew Harrison. And here to sketch out the stories for the week ahead, it's Naomi Smith, CEO of Best of Britain. Good morning, Naomi. How are you? Morning, Andrew. I'm I'm good. Well, I've had a long weekend, so good. yeah, raring to go. Looking forward to getting five days worth of stuff done in four days, which exactly. is always great. <laughs> no good holiday goes unpunished. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be a busy week. Russia has opened up a second phase of its war in Ukraine, as was expected, by attacking cities in the east. Boris Johnson is back to face the music as Parliament returns. We're expecting a statement from him this afternoon, Tuesday. But first, let's have a look at the story that dominated the weekend and should spill on into this week. Priti Patel's plans to send asylum seekers for processing in Rwanda, where they will be permanently unable to claim asylum in the UK. The plan was widely condemned by human rights groups as inhumane and by politicians as unworkable and possibly illegal. Amnesty International says Rwanda has a dismal human rights record. Naomi, firstly, what status is the Rwanda policy in after its bruising weekend? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, bruising is probably the right word because the Rwanda policy has come under attack from many different angles, not least from within the civil service. So it's being briefed that Matthew Rycroft, who of course is the permanent secretary at the Home Office, could not sign off the policy himself and it had to go up to Priti Patel for that ministerial direction because the money didn't stack up. The, the the analysis of whether this was going to be good value for money for taxpayers' funds didn't stack up. And so it's not that it's being said that he, d- he doesn't support the policy in principle. It's that he cannot technically support the policy because the budgetary aspect of it didn't, didn't get the analysis it needed. So there's sort of a a tax coming from the value for money angle. And then, of course, we saw the churches weighed in, notably Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, condemning it. And, you know, interesting that this was happening over Easter. A plan to send refugees to a faraway land is reminiscent of some aspects of the Easter story. It's more Uh, of a Christmas one, isn't it, really, sending people to foreign lands? They should have saved Exactly. An innocent man is arrested, detained, tortured and killed to satisfy an angry nationalist mob. Uh, (laughs) And the legal process is abandoned to help somebody that's much, you know, less, is very incompetent and amoral administrator out of their political depth. So yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty Easter reminiscent. And not only do we have the bishops condemning the plan, we also had people like David Davis often sort of talked about as a Tory grandee. He has really stuck the boot in, um, in a, a, an opinion piece that he's done for Times Redbox, um, basically saying, you know, this don't, don't hide behind Brexit on this one. Don't abuse where he called them hard-won Brexit freedoms to outsource asylum because he says Brexit was about taking back control and asserting our own sovereignty and destiny. And it should be about, you know, justifying British exceptionalism on the basis of moral leadership, not moral delinquency, as he called it. So he's, he's sort of saying we have to uphold international law. We do have obligations under UN conventions basically we shouldn't be doing this Uh, we have a historic responsibility to Africa not to just you know send people there who want to to access the UK and of course there's all the arguments then that you know our listeners probably feel most acutely which is this is inhumane and Rwanda itself has a very dubious human rights record it was uh, you know amongst the lowest ranked countries in the world for freedom of press for instance and yeah you know it's 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 really hitting them from all angles at the moment so this will rumble on whether it ever gets 
fully implemented or not, I don't have a view, but my God, they're going to try. It is interesting that Starmer, as you say, went for the value for money and the kind of instrumental criticism of it rather than a criticism of the inhumanity and cruelty of it. Starmer is an aggressive realist who never says anything that he thinks won't work for the voter group he's going for. Is Mm. this saying rather a depressing thing about Labour's target voter group that an appeal on the grounds of inhumanity wouldn't get much of a hearing? This is the same as we hear about other topics and, you know, notably Brexit. And it is, of course, an appeal to the very heavily focus grouped, what is now internally dubbed the hero voter, which is obviously an insult to all other mm. voters. That That's the, the person, the, the characteristic of the, the kind of voter they're going for. So these former Labour switch to the Conservatives that they need to win back. So they do test this, I'm sure. This isn't, you know, without some analysis underneath it and underpinning it and justification. But I just worry that Labour aren't doing enough to keep their traditional flank on board. They're more internationalist, more liberal, more compassionate voter. So I I worry that they're not getting the balance right. But of course, we are in an election period at the moment. We are just a matter of weeks away from a big set of local elections where some will want to be seen to be doing very well in the kinds of seats where they need to do well in the constituency in a general election in a couple of years time. The timing of the announcement was pretty shameless. In recess, can't be examined, clearly designed to take the heat off Johnson and Partygate. Do you think it worked at all in the country? Immigration is now polling far below cost of living as a voter priority. Ukraine has shown that it's not as simple as British people hate asylum seekers at all. Do you think, are they out of step? Yeah, we saw this over Ukraine um, and how far the government had underestimated the the you know, average British person's compassion for those fleeing persecution. They have spent their entire political careers pandering to xenophobes and racists and are now shocked that actually the country isn't as xenophobic and racist as they thought they were. I think that the party gate fine, the first fines, let's face it, there will be more being released during recess was probably helpful for the prime minister. But nonetheless, they are deeply concerned about the number of negative articles about it and the sense in the country that, you know, this guy is not to be trusted and and broke the laws he made himself and made us all abide by. So this was clearly designed to try and uh, wrestle back the front pages. And, you know, it worked. The front pages did then all cover the Rwanda policy. But it is out of step with the country, I think, as well. Priti Patel was probably pretty close to being reshuffled. She certainly was perceived to be failing on the channel migrant crisis, as they call it, and so has gone hell for leather to design something that, that saves her skin. And it's just trying to fall back on the the old Brexit playbook that worked for them in 2019, and I'm not sure that's still going to work for them at an election in 2022, 23, 24, when, as you rightly say, Andrew, cost of living has galloped so far up the agenda uh, in terms of what voters are worried about, caring about, and and all the rest of it. So um, we'll see whether it it helps them or not. I think it will help with a very small, hardline, xenophobic section of their membership base and maybe, you know, not much at all with their voter base. Before we leave Lovely Pretty for a moment, the government took some kick in over its Nationality and Borders Bill and its Elections Bill before recess. 
the Lord threw out a lot of provisions, including stripping people of their citizenship without warning, criminalising arriving in the UK without permission. Also, photo ID and the elections bill it took out. ID will still be required, but photo ID will would if the well, Lord they've Clemenson... extended the types. They've agreed to extend yeah. the types of um, of of ID that is yeah. acceptable. So you can have a library card or a or a or a, a, a you know, a utilities bill or something. The Nationality and Borders Bill is a pretty Patel job. As you said, she's um, looking quite vulnerable to reshuffle. Do you think she'll still be there at Christmas? Has she has she overshot what even the Conservative Party wants? Oh, goodness. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, when you've got a cost of living crisis as a number one issue concerning voters, and then you roll out a scheme that even your own perm sec can't sign off because it doesn't stack up from a money perspective. She can't make this work, then I think she probably is in big trouble. I think this is her last roll of the dice, having been seen to be a pretty ineffective Home Secretary. I mean, look, we had to have Michael Gove step in and take the Homes for Ukraine scheme away from the Home Office because it, it couldn't deliver if reports are to be believed, and you can sure as hell find it plausible, you've got incredibly low morale in the Home Office, staff feeling incredibly demotivated. This is a Home Secretary who is proven to be a bully of staff. So all is definitely not well there, and it is underperforming. You know, it's one thing to be a bully who's getting stuff done. But if she doesn't, I think she could she could well be in trouble. But let's face it, she is after... Nadine Dorries, the the one that looks most lovingly upon dear leader Johnson, and he won't want to get rid of an acolyte unless he absolutely has to. Well, we're going to be seeing a lot of adoring looks at Johnson because the Parliament returns this week after recess. It seems inevitable that Johnson's going to get at least one more fine and possibly two. What are you expecting from the week ahead for him on Partygate? Not enough, Andrew, not enough. I mean, did you hear over the weekend the, the briefing out of number 10 for the party he attended that he has been fined for. He said it didn't feel like a party. Didn't feel like a party. Exactly. Exactly. That doesn't mean it was. It was just a shit party. Yeah, we've all been to a in New Year's Eve bash that just wasn't what, you know, we hoped yeah. it might be. And yeah. So he is going to be facing MPs for the first time uh, today, I think around three-ish this afternoon. And then he's going to be speaking to the Tory backbenchers in the evening. It's up to, as I understand it, Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hoyle, to decide whether MPs can vote to refer Johnson to a formal parliamentary investigation over all of this. That is still to be confirmed. There's nothing solid on that yet, but we'll find out where it is later today. And of course, Labour are going to use every opportunity they can to land blows on him. And and they are particularly angry that he's going to try and consolidate his speech to Parliament, not just on Partygate, but he's going to roll in the other two major uh, issues around Ukraine and the Rwanda statement rather than making three separate statements. And so, yeah, I mean, I think he should have a difficult week ahead of him. Whether or not he does is very much up to the Conservative backbenchers and, you know, whoever wants to rely on them. But on Wednesday, so tomorrow, he's got PMQs from the opposition. And if you remember as well, in the papers this weekend, we heard that he was involved in instigating Lee yeah. Kane's leaving due. So rather than just, oh, being ambushed by a cake or wandering into a room that happened to be a party and not leaving, this is one where 
actually it's being briefed that he had a hand in in organizing the whole thing whether or not he deliberately misled parliament is going to be another big thing that that opposition people go on you know he was the one that was saying no I didn't I couldn't have known so therefore I couldn't have possibly have purposely misled there are various different mechanisms to hold him to account on that and the opposition parties will be you know trying to box clever on that and, and pen him in but of course there's no suggestion that he would lose a vote of no confidence against him at this stage and we've still got lots and lots of backbenchers several of whom previously had called for him to go saying no now is not the time because of the war in Ukraine and many commentators speculating that it'll be the local elections if anything that that makes them change their position back again on that. Hi I'm Katie Riley on the slow newscast from Tortoise Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the Met have instructed Sue Gray that she can't publish a much-awaited report until after all the fines have been handed out, which could take months and certainly means after the May elections. You know, is that consistent with what we've been told so far? I mean, to suddenly claim that the investigation period includes the handing out of fixed penalty notices, where presumably the investigation has ended before the notices go out. Yeah, it's weird. It's 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 very strange, I guess. Look, I don't know, Andrew. The honest answer is I don't know, and I don't know if some of the ones coming are far more you know serious in terms of of the the level of the fine and you know whether there's more criminality attached to it one of the things that we first thought when the met started investigating was that it's one thing to be investigated for having attended a party that broke lockdown laws it's another to have perverted the course of justice by trying to destroy evidence around that, which would be a much more serious criminal rather than civil investigation. So who knows Hmm. whether there's something there about not prejudicing the outcome of a more serious uh, investigation. I I, I don't know, but you're right. It's incredibly frustrating that basically the Sue Gray report looks to be further and further away from seeing the light of day. Let's turn to Ukraine. Ukraine is extending and escalating its war after the sinking of the Moskva over the weekend, which is strange because it was the weather and a fire that sank the Moskva. Definitely not two Ukrainian Neptune missiles. President Zelensky says the war for the Donbass has begun. If Russia were to subdue the Donbass, then that would give it a corridor to occupy Crimea. Now, we're not military strategists, far from it. I wanted to ask you, how is Western and EU support for Ukraine standing this week? What state are we in? Yeah, I mean, look, must try harder, I think, is the the overarching theme of it. Biden is going to chair a G7 call that will include Johnson and various other leaders from Japan, Romania, uh, NATO Secretary General, and of course, von der Leyen and uh, Charles Michel from the EU as well. And they're going to be talking about what further defensive weapons can be provided to Ukraine, as well as new sanction options. And the Prime Minister is apparently, you know, still raising the idea of an enduring security strategy for Ukraine, um, allowing them to protect their sovereignty and deter further aggression. The question of whether to send 
heavier weaponry to Ukraine is really dividing Germany. Because if you remember there, they've got three parties in the ruling yeah. coalition. You've got the, the Social Democratic Chancellor Olaf Scholz coming under fire. Some members of the Greens and the Liberal FDP are arguing that Berlin should authorise shipments of heavy weapons. Whereas the SPD, that is Scholz's party, is opposing such deliveries because they think it will only be possible if you do it in coordination with NATO and, you know, in particular, Biden. And then let's not forget, we've got the French election on Sunday and that runoff between Macron and Le Pen. And so how much is actually going to be decided this week from France, given uh, given that they've got that backdrop too. So you know, they're talking to each other, they're uniting more than ever, but there is still domestic issues and tussles holding back a, a joint intervention of significant scale. There are reports today that Ukraine's appeal for EU membership could come to fruition. They could become an official EU membership candidate uh, within weeks. What have you been hearing on your Euro grapevine? Not any more than that, really. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's a real test for the EU. I think it's wonderful that countries want to join it, if only, if only we did. I'm sure most of us probably would these days. It's been such a mess to the economy since leaving. But, you know, there are there are some pretty strict rules that you have, the criteria that a country has to meet in order to qualify. It would be lovely if rather than being a solely rules-led organisation, the EU could be a little bit flexible on this one to let, Ukraine in because Western alliances are needed more than ever and it is the greatest peace project in human history and here is a country desperate for peace so all power to them I say. Just a couple more you mentioned the French presidential election runoff it's getting very hectic Macron has unveiled a set of green policies to court uh, voters on the left but most members of Mélenchon's leftist party are going to abstain or leave their ballot papers blank according to the party's own internal consultation. Meanwhile, there have been massive protests against the far right across France. Is this too close to call? Are you hearing anything? Oh, I'm not. I'm not. But, oh, I don't think so. I don't, I think he'll do it. I think it's okay. But my God, if the last, what are we on now? Six, seven years of talk yeah. anything. It's, you know, don't be complacent. Because... We have a brilliant record on predicting election yeah, results, don't we? Exactly. We're the best at it. Yes. Exactly. And... Le Pen's done a, a lot of work to shake off the bogeyman image that she had in, in 2017 when she got 34%. She will get at least 45%, I would imagine. I think Macron will squeak through. But as I as I said on one of our podcasts last week, I'm, I'm really terrified of her build-up for the longer term. Yeah. Um, and credibility because, you know, Mitterrand and Chirac, who remember the only two French presidents to have completed their two full terms, they hung around for ages as failed presidential candidates before finally winning. And all of that time, they're sort of building support, building support. And so she's following a pretty tired uh, sorry, tried and tested. Um, <laughs> tired and tested. So <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. She's trying. Um, <laughs> And uh, and it, it has worked previously, and 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 she's done it. You know, her 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 poll rating and her election result has improved markedly since the last time she ran. So um, you know, and of course by twenty twenty seven, Macron's not going to be eligible to stand for a third term, even if he does win this time. So there's no other serious kind of gladiatorial candidate to challenge her next time around. So I'm worried about this week, but even if he squeaks through, I don't stop being worried because. She could definitely do it the time after. Finally, we couldn't let this podcast go by without special mention for a favourite of all of our podcasts and a close personal media friend of yours, Naomi, Andrew Bridgen. (laughs) 
The Sunday Times reported uh, this weekend that according to a High Court judge's ruling, the famous Brexiter lied under oath, behaved in an abusive, arrogant and aggressive way and was so dishonest that his claims about a multi-million pound family dispute could not be taken at face value. This was in a £27 million dispute over ownership of the family potato firm in which Bridgen called the directors a team of wankers and liars and thieves. I'm shocked and surprised, Naomi. How about you? <gasps> I don't believe it. Of course I do. And 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 apparently it was all really because he didn't want to have a big payout to his ex-wife. Yes. So he was trying to dodge all of that and uh, and is, is very cross that they're not paying him best part of £100,000 a year to pitch up to you know, a board meeting every now and again. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's uh, he's quite the character, shall we say? And um, this has got more than a grain of truth to it. If you've uh, if you spent as much time as we have analysing the uh, the thoughts and works of Andrew Bridgen, listeners, if you haven't read the story, it is every line is gold, and we'll put a link in the show notes so you can enjoy it too. Uh, Andrew Bridgen now faces millions in legal fees and could well go before the Parliamentary Standards Watchdog after he is found to have been an unsatisfactory, evasive, and combative witness. Standards, eh? Remember them. <laughs> and that's start your week. Thank you, Naomi, for getting up early. Thanks, Andrew. Remember, listeners, you can keep us going in our invaluable work by backing us on Patreon for as little as £2 a month. You'll get episodes early without ads, you'll get merchandise and all kinds of other nice things. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. The Bunker Daily was presented by Andrew Harrison with Naomi Smith. The producers were Yelena Sofronievich, Jacob Archbold and Alex Rees. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson, The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>